0: Hello and welcome to episode 7 of TIFO Talks, the podcast mini-series in which John McKenzie speaks to interesting people from the game and beyond the game. Who did you speak to today, John, and were they in or around <laughs> the game? I would say in
1: the game yeah. this time, because yeah, I spoke yeah, yeah. to Dan Pelchin, who has developed a football product which he is selling to football clubs. Yes, Dan Pelchin's been on the podcast before, hasn't he? Has. he? he yes, yeah. has. uh, And his product is called Traits, and it is a means of player profiling um, using... Data. Data and numbers. That's right. So the majority of the conversation was about data and numbers. Do you help me
0: understand the data?
1: I do. And it. (laughs) That's kind of weird, that, because it sounds like you, but it also sounds like a robot.
0: Yeah. Also, Mm -hmm. you would have thought if I was doing an impression of
2: a robot, the robot would understand the data. Why am Mm -hmm. I doing... An impression, of well, it's like a, an impression. Maybe you doing an impression of a
0: wizard and asking to learn about magic.
1: But maybe you were trying to be a robot who's trying to pass the Turing test. That's so you're right. Trying to trick me into yeah, thinking yeah, that you yeah. don't. I you don't, don't
0: understand <laughs> data. Please inform Dan Pelchin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: So he talked. We talked a lot about um, data, the limits of data, mm. uh, but also the, the the benefits you can have from from uh, using data in football. So it was a really good chat. How does this conversation move on from the one that we had before? In case
0: listeners, so that listening to this have already heard Dan speak on the T podcast.
1: Yeah. I think we talked a lot more about some of the fundamental questions around around data. Obviously Dan is someone who works in data and his whole company is based around using data to mm. give professional clubs an upside. So I asked him some tricky questions about the the way that he approaches things and, and asked him whether or not there were better ways of doing things so for example he wanted to talk about examples of data working at football clubs and i was like what about the examples we have of data not working
2: at ah, football clubs?
1: that's yes. that's a smart question isn't that's it? the sort what of I did traditional I took, mckenzie twist yes he uh, took i took his question yeah. that he suggested and i like, flipped it on his and head you
0: threw it in his face yeah yeah okay uh, well uh, let's all enjoy now a conversation between john mckenzie and dan pelchin
1: Hello and welcome to TIFO Talks, a podcast on the TIFO Football Podcast Network. I'm John McKenzie. I'm joined today by Dan Pelchin. Dan, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, John. So Dan is a performance data scientist with a PhD in human resource analytics. He has previously worked in recruitment roles at Collingwood FC in Australian Rules Football and Chelsea FC in the Premier League. So since leaving his role at Chelsea, Dan has founded Traits Insights which has been developed working alongside a number of professional football clubs and leagues and Traits is a player and team profiling platform which enables decision makers in sport to harness the value of analytics. The focus of Dan's work is making analytics accessible where complex granular data is translated into football language in line with each organization's unique football philosophy. So lots to get into today. (laughs) I think maybe the best place to to jump off is by talking about the difference between data and analysis, which is something when we've been talking um, in prep for this podcast, you've been very keen to stress the differences between. So do you want to just jump off and and talk about why you think that distinction is so important?
2: Yeah, okay. Okay. Sounds good, John. Well, to begin with, data is really all of the different numbers and facts that are being collected within the football landscape. So, think of everything that the data providers are out there and gathering. They're undisputed in terms of how many goals, how many shots, how many dribbles a player might have had. Analytics and analysis, on the other hand, is the interpretation of that data. So, that's not necessarily hard fact while it's still objective using that data it's not the same thing as those statistics and those data points which are something that have been counted and have been measured in that same way so analytics is this idea of being able to extract value out of the data by interpreting it in such a way where you're deriving value for the decision makers who ultimately need to be using it
1: yeah that's interesting because you're already sort of hinting towards there being a a bit of an overlap between those two things right data and analysis because Obviously, we have raw data. We talk. You talked about goals, assists, whatever. But there's many, many metrics that you can you can use. And even just deciding what metrics you use is already starting to interpret data in in, a, in some kind of way, isn't it? So the, there is a blurred distinction between like the extent to which we have just raw data on the one hand, and yeah. then we're starting to analyze and think about that data on the other, right?
2: Absolutely. That's it. And I think, again, on that point, when we look at analytics, it really is this process. So if you talk about some of the metrics that might exist, something like expected goals and expected assists, those models are going to get deeper and better as the data gets richer as well. So our understanding of what it means to have an expected goal is something that will evolve over time. So when we're using those numbers as again, hard objective fact, that's something that we know is going to evolve and get better. So analytics really is this process of continually having a deeper and better understanding of the way that we can interpret and understand that data.
1: Mm. You have described yourself in the bio as a performance data scientist. Yep. So could you just explain what you mean by that?
2: Okay, can do. So. It's it's probably good to talk about the different types of analysts that exist within a football club. I think broadly speaking, you've got performance analysts and you've got data analysts, which are two different things. Performance analysts are the ones who have this rich domain expertise, and they're more traditionally those video analysts. And then on the other hand, you've got these, these data people that are starting to exist more prominently. And what you've got is you've got a data analyst who is someone who will interpret the data. You've got a data scientist who's someone who will translate that data into insights. And then you've also got a data engineer who's someone who is really looking at building out these systems and getting ultimately data from A to B. So while there's these three broad roles around data, being a data analyst, a data scientist, and a data engineer, they're not necessarily exclusive as to what function you're performing within a club. But when I'm grouping myself within one of those, I'd say more or less my roles as a data scientist whose job is to translate that data into insights, as opposed to someone who's interpreting either the raw data or someone who's getting it from A to B, which is an engineer.
1: Do you think that as time goes by, there is a move towards, again, blurring those distinctions between those roles? Because, again, it seems as though if you can have expertise in each one of those roles, then you're going to be better suited to, to be able to be providing the sort of information that a football club would want.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. So I think, yeah, it's one of these things where, as the industry is evolving and as the application of data within football clubs is becoming better understood, people within those different functions are being spread across more of them as well. In terms of the video analysts, are no longer just video analysts; they're looking at data, and they're not just looking at data. They're actually expected, in many senses, to actually have to start to visualize it and understand it better. Which is, in some ways, the role of a data scientist. And equally, the role of a data scientist isn't just being that person who's translating the data in isolation, it's having to have quite a degree of understanding of the domain expertise that goes into football and also an understanding of the systems and how they're being built out. Because as the industry is maturing and growing into this space, there's more of these in each club um, of those different roles. And you need to be able to understand how to communicate your particular function within this broader team or unit.
1: I really like you using the phrase translate because yeah. I think that's uh, that's a buzzword, right, that we hear a lot now in, in the data analytics sphere. Because there is that recognition that you, when you are a data scientist, you are expected to be able to think about the game that you're trying to model, right? So yeah. as you said before, you can have a data engineer who can build you the best systems to be able to correlate your data to be able to start doing some of the interpretation of the data for you but if you're building those systems you do have to be able to understand the way that the game is is being played and maybe a way to talk about this is we were talking before about moneyball because obviously like moneyball is something that is always thrown into these sorts of conversation because that's probably the the most cultural culturally relevant reference we have to to analytics in sport but in moneyball you have this this situation where what is being done is an interpretation of the game by scouts and front office staff in baseball. And they're saying, this is how the game should be played. These are the players that we need to fit into that game. And the big reveal moment of of Moneyball is that Billy Bean comes along and he says, you guys don't actually understand the game. And because you don't understand the game, you don't understand how to recruit. And because you don't understand how to recruit, there's actually market inefficiencies out there which you can exploit very easily as a club. And I, I suppose the big message of Moneyball was like, okay, it's not, in this instance, it's not data engineers who don't understand the game. It's actual scouts who mm. are... Recruiting for clubs in in the game, and so there has to be that base level understanding of what maybe what kids today might call the meta of a game. I don't know that's a gaming phrase, so maybe I've lost half my audience <laughs> already. I can't imagine there's a huge amount of kids listening to this, but the, the meta of the game. So what what it is that you're trying to do when you're when you're playing the game, and how you expect players to function, and then the profile of players that you expect to bring in to to perform that function. So I've thrown a lot of information in there, but the, the big question for me there is. Interpretation, like how how are we doing? it? How is the best way of of doing that as a as a data as a data team? Mm-hmm. And is it important to have those translators who can jump between areas, who can understand what's going on in the data side of things, but also understand what's going on on the tactical side of things as well?
2: Yeah, and the answer to that one is absolutely. And the reason for that is because football is not played the same way from one club to the next. Each club has their own unique way, and in- which they're approaching the game and based on their formation or based on the actual resource they have in players on the on the field as well. So what you need to do is find a way to actually effectively use that team that you've got at your disposal within the function that they're each trying to play and figure out what's going to be the most efficient use for you to basically play the game that you're trying to play, which is very different to the way that the opposition's trying to play or any other team within the league. So interpretation of data is key when you're actually being asked to use that data in a different way from one club to the next. And that's where. When you've got these decision makers who are the ones who are ultimately driving the strategy and the tactics within a team, it's a really important role of the data scientists, the data analysts and the data engineers to actually listen to them and understand the way that they are trying to play so that the analysis can align with that one accordingly, because there's not this uniform or one way that we should be measuring football from a strategic point of view, when everyone's got this different game style and it's a really important function of each one of those different analysts to actually listen to the way that it's being implemented within a football club so that you can measure it and align the analysis with those decision makers so that it actually makes sense to them as well, rather than having this overly technical language that doesn't align with the way that they understand and communicate the game.
1: Hmm. You've worked obviously in two very different sports. How controversial do you think it is to suggest that we should constantly be trying to reinterpret the games that we're analyzing and uh, that you never sort of really arrive at that final understanding the games are always developing themselves it's, do you think that's a controversial thing to say in recruitment in both I mean you've worked in Aussie rules and, and also football soccer as, yeah. as I guess you you'd maybe call it but do you think that's a controversial point of view that do you get people who get pissed off essentially by you coming in and saying are we really understanding this game that we've all been in for so long to the best of our ability
2: yeah it's a good question um I think As I mentioned earlier, analytics is this process, and it's really important that there is this understanding that the data is continually going to get richer, which really means that we do need to be reflecting on it regularly in terms of how we can actually enhance and improve our models and our understanding of the game as we get access to more information. I don't think at any stage we're ever trying to reinvent the wheel in terms of the way that we're either playing or understanding or interpreting football. What we need to do is, again, align the analysis with the way that decision makers and people within a football club are actually communicating football. So, I don't think there's these sort of groundbreaking or severe moments where we're saying, all right, let's wipe the slate clean and let's do this all again. What we're trying to do more or less is realign the analysis at any given time with what is our most contemporary understanding of the way that we're communicating football. And again, that's going to change very regularly as the data that gets richer and richer in football is happening exponentially at the moment. So, I think it's really healthy to consider analytics as a process and as insights as opposed to these answers or this one sort of fixed moment in time that that is the answer. Because you can ask any analyst in any football club and they're going to say, I wish I had more time to build this next best version of the model that I've got to then enhance the analysis. But as the data gets richer, as the coaches and the decision makers understanding of the data and their tactics are changing as well, it's this continually shifting cycle in this moving piece. So, it's a really interesting space as it continually evolves. And it's it's an exciting one in football, which I think particularly over the last few years has really got to this point where there's widespread acceptance of the value that data can offer and analytics can offer. But that really throws the challenge back to the analysts and the people who are now in this position to actually listen to the way that it can actually have an impact within the club and align it with the way that decision makers ultimately need to be using it.
1: It's interesting hearing you talk about processes there, because I think there maybe is a tendency in- Data analytics, maybe just football in general, to assume that the progress of the sport is a linear one. Mm. Um, But it it must be the case that certain decisions are made which can actually make you move a step backwards. Or, for example, you can you make a decision based on the way that the game has developed, and then the game takes a different turn. So, I'm thinking, particularly at the moment, of Luciano Spalletti, the the Napoli coach. I made a couple of quotes this week, I think, after the Champions League fixtures, where he talks about how football football now is different to how it was. It used to be the case that you could have these, he called them schemi, schemi, I I don't know how you pronounce it in Italian, but scheme with an I at the end, right? So schemes. And he said that, you know, you can't really do that anymore. Football is much less pattern based. So you can't just have these sort of set routes that you run. A lot more of it is about principles of play when you're on the field, that you're trying to create space and then you're trying to exploit space. Right. And a lot of that comes down to uh, the player's ability to decision-make on the field. But, Making that kind of comment suggests that, you know, if we've if we've developed an analytic approach, which is focused on maybe schemes of play rather than then principles of play, yeah. that, that there may be situations where we, where we might want to return to the way that we've done things in the past and say, actually, maybe there's a better way of, of doing this. So what do you have much of experience of that? Do you feel as though it's easy when you're at the coal face to just sort of assume that we just plow a- ahead. Like how much chance do you get to be reflexive about the way that the, the decisions that have been made in the past as a as a
2: data analyst? Yes, yeah. um, really good question. I think how much chance, that's, that's, a, that's a tricky one because ultimately it, the answer to that one is never enough. Like in a perfect world, there'd be more time in an off season or there'd be more breaks throughout the season where you can actually take this step back and reflect on the models that you've got in place and the processes that you've got in place. And you would love to continually refine them As much as you possibly could and ultimately the fast-paced nature of football is that you do have to go through this very quick cycle of match to match or season to season at, at a pace that isn't probably conducive to what would be the optimal approach of building out these models that are fit for purpose all the time in terms of how things are changing on a weekly or daily basis at some times but i think in terms of the experience of having gone through that i i think what really adds value is rather than having again these set models and these fixed models that are that are more or less an answer, that's what you don't want. What you want is this framework, which can be adapted where people have an understanding of the way that we're interpreting data with a front end that is familiar to the decision makers who are using it. But then what you can do is enhance models at the back end with new data that emerges or with refined weightings or adjusted elements that go into the models based on evolving standards of the way that we're actually understanding the game. So I think, again, frameworks is probably the best way to understand or or to describe what a lot of data scientists are doing within the industry as opposed to these models. Because it's, it's more of an idea of being able to adjust it as those circumstances change based on playing personnel, based on coaching personnel or based on tactics. So, again, it's this moving piece that's constantly evolving. But from a change point of view, there's never enough time in the day or week to actually do all of that work that you'd like to.
1: Yeah, weirdly reminds me of the watchword of the uh, of the Protestant Reformation, where they were talking about semper reforma- reformando, which is always reforming, like always not taking tradition to be the case that it has to be this way. because it always has been this way, always returning to the sources and trying to think about whether or not you have uh, you have better ways of doing things. And look. I think that happens for everyone in life. You're saying that you would love the opportunity to sit down and be like, let's reassess where we're at. I find the same in my job, right? When you're covering stuff all the time, it's easy to just sort of get into that mindset where you're just pushing forward. And sometimes it's just good to have those days where you sit back and you think, actually, are there other, for example, for me, are there other teams who are doing things interesting tactically that I can have a watch of in a, in a research-based way only that isn't going to be going to result in content. It's good to sit back and think, actually, are there, are there ways for me to improve the way that I watch the game uh, as well? So that's, yeah. that's, that's interesting.
2: That's it. And I think the, the key element to that in making sure that you're actually going to add the value in the timeframes that you have got is just the communication piece because ultimately in football, the decision makers who are, are using all of this information at the coalface are your coaches, your scouts, and your football people who ultimately need it communicated to them in a way that they can interpret and understand really quickly when they don't have the time to understand deeply all of these nuanced metrics and data behind it. So if you can find a way to communicate it consistently while at the back end, the the models and the data that's being fed into it, evolving and adjusting, that really streamlines that process to making sure that you're making the most of the finite time that you do have to work with when actually getting them to understand that message that you're trying to convey.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
1: traits is and how you came about with the idea of coming up with this sort of approach to particularly i guess it's player recruitment right
2: yeah so it's it's not just player recruitment it's player profiling in a broader sense so if we looked at that technical tactical physical model earlier it's it's really technical profiling in a box so that's recruitment but it's also looking at player development as well so anything that you might have an objective conversation around a player but What traits is fundamentally, as per the name, is understanding the sort of higher level things that a footballer is doing on the pitch and trying to take all of that granular data and translate it into something that actually resonates with the decision makers within a football club in line with their particular language that they're using. So moving away from all of these granular statistics and into something that can actually reflect the way that that club is talking around a footballer.
1: So when you're saying granular statistics there, you're just talking about sort of the raw data. So I don't know you don't want to be in a situation where someone is saying okay we've got this midfielder he has got this number of progressive passes his pass completion rate is this etc and, and you start building up a massive profile just based around the raw data you're wanting to you're wanting to have a system which allows you to i suppose overcome the the granularity there and is it is it more to do with layers? Are you are you trying to you're trying to build layers where you can start off simplified and work deeper if you want, right?
2: That's it. Effectively, trait is trying to go with this top down approach as opposed to the bottom up. So bottom up being all these granular statistics where what you're doing is again looking through all of those different numbers that can measure the skills within a match or for a player within a match or across the span of a season. What is traditionally happening in the way that people are interpreting data in the industry at the moment is looking through all of those numbers in isolation and trying to pull together something like a radar plot with all of the different numbers that can measure dribbling and then a separate radar plot for all of the different numbers that can measure crossing and trying to build up an understanding of a player's profile off of that. What Traits does differently is really align the analysis in the same way that the decision makers and football people are asking the questions, which is often from the top down. So Asking who is the best player, who is The best at creating or who's the best at passing and then what are the different elements within that that we can have measured through all these different metrics which are a culmination of all these different data points and then and only then if we need to start drilling down into the raw data points we can start doing that so it's building out this intuitive framework and tool that can actually help that decision making process in understanding really quickly what some of the insights and answers can be from getting a quick understanding and impression on what players are doing from a high level and then you can drill down into the data which really from a time point of view and from an efficiency point of view becomes a really powerful tool to put in the decision makers hands where they can drive that analysis for themselves because it is quite intuitive. So, In doing that, it's quite a complex process in terms of actually building out that framework and the model with all of the data that you've got available to you. But once it's in place, it's something that becomes this tool that really does a lot of the heavy lifting of the analysis process for you.
1: So, The pros of that kind of approach are that you are reducing processes and you're you're making things simpler for people in in whichever club you're working for do you think there's any cons with that like in terms of simplifying data down this is always a a conversation i have a lot with my with my friends a lot of friends who work in clubs as well who always want to say if you can present in clubs uh, a really like a really simple 10 point scale or something like that it's much better than presenting people with raw data as you're saying yeah do you think that that there's any cons with like moving from like what we're actually talking about there to sort of more of an abstract scale in in any sense
2: yeah very good question and i think More or less, it's it's overwhelmingly positive. I think one of the few cons that might come with that is interpreting it as an absolute answer as opposed to these insights. So when you've got some people who really buy into the analysis because they've been through this process of actually building it out in line with their language, in line with their understanding of football, they'll look at this overall rating or this index or this set of indexes and say, that's the player that's right for us. And they'll think that because of this process and because they trust the analysis, that they'll treat it as an absolute answer. And one of the really dangerous things with that is that it it can be dangerously compelling to say that it is objective, it is using the data, it is using this model, therefore that player is better than this other player or this player is not developing in the way that we need them to. But I think one of the most harmful things when it comes to analytics as opposed to data is the idea that something can be wrong or a decision maker or a domain expert can be wrong based on their interpretation of the data. So I think it's really important that at any given time you stress the importance of it being an insight and it's giving you a really good picture of what's happening, but it's not the absolute or complete picture. So that's the harm of it being too um, effective in being bought into, uh, in terms of the actual interpretation of the data. But as long as you can communicate the limitations reasonably around the models and everything as well, then you'll come to that happy place where they understand that the data is doing a lot of the work, but that's where there's this real need for subjectivity around football as well to actually painting that complete picture.
1: So, scientism, basically, right? It's, it's something I love to talk about. It happened a lot in the pandemic, right? When people think if there's a number attached to something, it's true. You can't argue with that, yeah. right? Uh, and, and that's why I love you constantly emphasizing this notion of like interpretation. And I suppose the thing with traits is that if you want to get behind those abstract numbers, you can just drill down and you get eventually to those, those metrics, right? The raw data at the, at the bottom, right? Yeah,
2: that's it. And again, because it's a framework where it's got these multiple layers to it as well, there's always an explanation for what's happening and if for whatever reason that's not aligning with the way that they would expect it to be or if there's there's something within the data that's not coming out the way that they might expect, there's an opportunity to interrogate it and refine that model further. So, it's something where it's, again, this continual learning process and making sure that it's fit for purpose, but it's not this severe thing that's saying, look, here's this, here's this number and it's therefore the answer. But that is what we need to be doing with data in terms of accepting that goals are goals, shots are shots, dribbles are dribbles. But with the analytics that's going on within traits, it's understanding that, again, it's this process and something that we can continually refine to have a better understanding of the way that we're interpreting football.
1: Yeah. And if I'm hearing you correctly, with traits, you're building a different model for every team that is using your product, right? So. That's already doing the interpretational stuff, right? That's already starting to move away from just here's the raw data to, right, we we are not interested in data for data's sake. We're interested in data for how it can add value to our club in particular. So what does that build process look like when you go into a club? You're sitting down with various decision makers and presumably like analysts and tacticians at the club. What does that process look like when you're trying to build a traits model for a particular team?
2: Yeah. So the first part of the process is actually understanding the resource that we have to work with. So every club is going to be very different from a data perspective as to what they've got to work with. Some might have lots of data in terms of multiple data providers with lots of different competitions and data that goes back a very long way historically. Others might just have one data provider and a handful of competitions, and then some might not even have data at all. And really based on where they're at on that sort of journey of data adoption and also data interpretation, what you've got to do to begin with is just understand what it is that you're going to be working with because while the traits platform and framework is more or less going to be the same process from one club to the next what you're feeding into it will be very different from one to the next so the first part of the process is actually understanding the resource that we've got to actually build out our understanding of a footballer with the data but once we've got the data in place what we can then do is have an understanding of saying okay this is what we know we can work with, and that's really in many ways going to drive the different types of traits that it can actually build out as well that will align with that data. And at that point, what you're doing is this piece of actually sitting down the decision makers within a club and the analysts and saying, all right, collectively, how do we want to interpret data moving forward in terms of how it's been communicated? What are the different attributes that we're talking around a footballer? And that's going to be very different from one club to the next as well in terms of how they even just label certain skills, whether that's passing or distribution, so on. So once you've captured their language, first of all, that's giving them the opportunity to put their initial stamp on the analysis in terms of the way that it's going to come out through the front end. Then what you're doing is you're effectively quantifying their models with all of the analysis that goes into traits in terms of the analytics and the what's come from the PhD going into reducing all of that information into something that aligns with their football philosophy. After that's done, you're going back to them and saying, here's how the outputs come out with this the optimal ratings and more or less that should always align with conventional wisdom and what they'd expect to see. But then you're giving them the opportunity to actually have a look at all of the outputs and go through that process of interrogating the data and saying, yeah, no, that is what we'd expect in terms of these players with these ratings and then the elements within that, then the elements within that. So you're getting to this point where you're giving them the opportunity to put their data into a model, you're giving them the opportunity to construct the framework and then you're giving them the opportunity to refine the outputs as well and then that's something again becomes this revolving process of it continually using the outputs but then also refining those as they go on once the data gets richer once their tactical understanding changes once their understanding of the framework changes and really again it's this this product or this platform where people get an opportunity to translate that data into their language but in a way that isn't as strict or rigid and just saying here is the number and we're producing it for you in the way that we understand football, it's it's letting them really take that process and drive that for themselves.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that that's that's really interesting. And um, it's, it, you're talking a lot about here about game philosophies, game models, we might call them as well. How often do you go into a, a club and go through this process and it becomes apparent that the club that you're working with hasn't really thought about what their game is? Philosophy is in that sense. Is that is that something that you think is just a, a byproduct of the service that you offer that actually forces these teams to start thinking about what it is that they're even trying to do in the first place?
2: Yeah, uh, really good question. And I think there's differing levels of how defined the different game philosophies are or game models are from one club to the next. Some are, are really well defined. It's documented. It's it's put up on the walls all around the club. Others have a really clear understanding of the way that they're playing football in terms of strategically and what the coach's tactics are, but it's not necessarily documented or communicated in the same way. And what's been a really powerful conversation when I go through this, which with the different clubs that I've engaged with so far, is actually having those decision makers in a room and saying, what are we asking from our players more or less? When we're talking around creativity for a footballer, do we want them to have more dribbling or more combination play or more crossing for a winger and actually sitting them in a room when there is an absolute hundred percent that you've got to work with and sitting back and listening to that conversation is a really constructive one because they get to talk through their different players. They get to talk through their tactics and it creates this really good organic conversation around what their values and philosophy is. So again, while they all have a really good understanding of what they want and more or less there's an agreement on the way that the data is going to be pulled together and weighted within these models sitting back and actually letting them just have that conversation around their football philosophy in a really objective way with data is a pretty powerful thing to sit back and witness.
1: I just want to talk before we move on actually about a talk that was given at the StatsBomb conference that we were both at actually, but I don't think you were in this talk. We, we discovered before we came on air, but it was a paper from Ben Torveney and the main argument from the paper was that this is a quote, quality is an emergent property, which sounds obviously very complicated and highfalutin and philosophical but essentially what I understand Ben is saying is, is that usually when we're well, as analysts when we're approaching a player we have a tendency to think of a player in terms of essential properties so think the FIFA ratings or the the football manager screen where you, you can say you know aggression 17 speed 5 what, whatever and when you approach analytics in that way or player recruitment or profiling as you've called it There can be a tendency then to think, well, if we're looking for a player who is, I I don't know, who fits our game model. So someone who's fast, uh, is good in in 1v1 situations, a a dribbly winger, whatever, we want to look for these certain attributes, right? What I think Ben is saying is actually there's no point ever conceiving of that mythical player in complete abstraction from anything else right yep. you can't sit, sit down and say this player in all times and all places is going to be this at this attribute yeah because context context matters right 100 and i feel as though that's what you're doing with traits right you're you're starting to say we shouldn't be looking simply in terms of these essential attributes that are abstracted from anything else we need to think about game models we need to think about what it is about a player that makes them fit at this team and not that team i mean manchester united is just a classic example of that right bring in very good players yeah but those players never seem to work. And people can't get their heads around that. They say, well, you know, we know that we know that Paul Pogba is one of the greatest footballers to ever kick to football. What is going on at Manchester United? And I think the big explanation for that is is what Ben's saying there. Quality is an emergent property. You need to have all of the conditions in the right situation in order for these things to work. So how compelling do you find that sort of approach to thinking about player profiling?
2: Yeah, very compelling. I'm completely on board with that one in terms of understanding it as this... Piece that will never be fully defined. It's and that's why we need these frameworks to help us understand it better, knowing that it's never going to be this yeah complete or absolute interpretation of the way that it's going to actually come out through these outputs or through these ratings. So. I couldn't agree with that stance more in terms of making sure that you've got players that are fit for the conditions that they're being put in, but even also understanding that the conditions that they're going to be put in isn't something that's necessarily fixed um, and that that will change based on the other players that are around them, based on the emerging circumstances of what other opposition teams are doing and what the environment that they're playing in is. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with this, that it's something that we need to be looking at through the lens of something that's continually evolving and will never be absolute in terms of an answer.
1: Hmm. When we were talking about topics to discuss in this podcast, you suggested maybe having a few examples of analytics working. Yeah, I thought it'd be fun for us to have some examples of analytics that haven't worked as well. Yep. We've maybe you already touched on that with Manchester United, but let's start with examples of analytics working or yep. what do you think are the are the the sort of really good exemplars of, of a of a good analytic approach that has led to a football club benefiting from them?
2: Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's start with a tactical one. One of the examples that I can provide just through some of the work that I've done in the past from a tactical point of view is looking at the way that we're actually trying to play a particular function within the game or a particular moment within a game. So, what the circumstances was, we was, we're looking at slow play or build up play and understanding how we're going to get the ball from where it is to where we want it to be and how can we measure that. And there's all these different passes that are happening once you're getting into that particular position of the field. And we're going to understand, all right, is it getting where we're asking the players to put it? And there's a lot of different circumstances that can more or less affect where the ball's going to go from that um, position. But what we do is we can measure whether it's going where we want it to go, whether we want it to go somewhere sort of neutral, or whether it's going where we don't want it to go, and a few different elements in between. So what we could do is measure these different five numbers that are actually saying, all right, is it, is it gonna be a very good outcome, a good outcome, a neutral outcome, a bad outcome, or a very bad outcome based on what they're being asked to do. If you were to measure each of those different five numbers, there's some great data points there, but rather than using just those data points in isolation, which can start to convolute our understanding of what's actually happened there, what we could do is, say, put a trend line through those five different numbers. And as it's counting, we've got a slope. And when we've got that slope of what they're doing either more of or less of, we can then take that gradient and say, all right, how can we quantify that gradient in such a way, or it's already been quantified, how can we visualize the gradient in such a way on a spectrum where you can go to players, athletes, coaches, and just say here on a scale or on a radar is what you're doing in line with what we've asked you to do. And I think that's that's a really strong example that I've had in, in my career previously where, They've been able to effectively build out this radar or use this in saying, here is how you are doing something either really well or not and moving away from these data points that exist underneath that. And I think that's, that's one example of many from a tactical point of view in ways that we can actually take these yeah, raw data points or our understanding of something tactically and move away from each of these different numbers and actually just say with a visualization, here is where you are on this scale of actually executing on what we've asked you to do.
1: So you're clearly using like tactical ideas when you're, you're approaching this thing that you talked about build-up phases there. So essentially what you're doing is sitting down and saying like, what are we expecting our players to do in build up that is, is going to benefit the team? How do we quantify that? And then how do we visualize it to show whether or not players will be suited to our system or not? Yep. And so presumably then you're working with coaches, analysts, performance analysts, as you would call them. Yeah. Um, tacticians to, to, to be able to build these sorts of models then?
2: Yeah, 100%. So I think particularly within the context of being in in the four walls of a football club, it's really important that you have exposure to the way that the coaches and scouts and so on are actually understanding the game and particularly in a tactical sense, the way that the, the manager is trying to implement the game style. And again, this isn't something as rigid as saying that this is what they need to be doing every time, but having that context and understanding of the way that they're more or less trying to play becomes really important to being able to – measure something that's reflecting their game style because that particular metric and what was going on in that particular instance is very, very different to how that might actually work for another club because they're going to be playing a very different way once they find themselves in that position. And again, there's no right or wrong way to play football. There's many different ways. And what really matters is that you're going to be able to measure something that's more or less looking at a a team's ability to actually execute on their plan. And I think an effective strategy in football or an effective tactical approach in football is one that's just clearly understood by the players that need to be executing it. So if you can have in-house statistician scientists who are actually finding a way to measure a team's ability to execute on a game plan, that becomes a really helpful resource that isn't something that can be provided externally because these other data providers and these companies, they don't understand the specific context of what that club's trying to achieve. So they're providing the tools and the resource from a data perspective, but then it's the club's responsibility to actually interpret that, interpret the understanding of the way that the decision makers are ultimately trying to play the game. And then you can go and quantify it in such a way that can hopefully make sense to them, which again, is moving away from this idea of slopes and gradients and these data points towards something that's just this clean visualization that they can understand.
1: I want to take a Quick aside, talk about a compatriot of yours, actually, Ange Postecoglou. Yeah. It's funny, whenever I mention him to Australians, a, a, a look comes across their eyes. So he's clearly well-beloved in, in Australia. But he was um, talking this week about playing Matt O'Reilly, the Celtic player, as a, as a pivot player. Callum McGregor has been injured, so they moved a player out who was an 8 into more of a 6 position. Yeah, And people were saying, you know, he's not doing things the same way yeah. as... as as Callum McGregor right Is is this does that mean you've changed the style of play that you have and he made the point that obviously players aren't positions players have skill sets and they will play roles differently right yeah how much flexibility do you think there is in the approach that you take that allows for that flexibility of, of player profiles? So, I mean, the irony maybe of this question is that I actually don't think Matt O'Reilly has been particularly good as a player. <laughs> so, um, yeah, maybe maybe I'm over egging the pudding. But do, do you think there's the ability for your models to have that flexibility in terms of like player profiles in different positions in, in a particular game model?
2: Yeah hundred percent. And I think I completely agree with that. And again, if we just look at the name of the platform traits, it's all about the player's traits. And when you're benchmarking a player from, and what they're doing with their data from one perspective to another, when you're going from, say, looking at them against a sample of wingbacks versus against fullbacks, or looking at them from the context of this competition to another, while their ratings might change based on the benchmarking and the samples, what's more or less happening is that we're still understanding where their relative strengths and weaknesses might be against what's being asked of them. So you can move a player from an eight to a six. And while the data that's being fed in is you know, going to be interpreted differently, it's still giving you this understanding, which isn't an answer, but an insight into how they're actually going to fit within that Function. So, so you could use traits to do that then. You could take
1: one of your eights and and, and have a look at how the, you'd think that they would perform in a different position in the structure. Yeah, yeah. that's
2: it. While you're still acknowledging the limitations of, sure. well, where do we actually collect their data from? Was it from when they were being an eight? Or from when they were being a six? Yeah. But what's really good about traits when you're using all of these data points that you've got access to as opposed to just a handful of them is that typically what's tending to happen and the data points that got left out when you're using. A smaller number is those efficiencies. So when you've got these volume statistics of how many dribbles they're doing, how many crosses they're doing, or how many passes they're doing, they're generally sort of the high-level statistics that get used more often when you're looking at just a relatively small number of statistics at a time. When you're looking at lots of different statistics, you can use all of these different efficiencies. And the ability of doing models where you've got access to all of these sort of efficiencies as well is that because it's wrapping so much more context into it, you can actually start to use those efficiencies to drive the understanding between a six and an eight better than you would if you were just using some of those volume statistics, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And I,
0: I like it looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven U S based live customer service from discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. Let's talk about maybe an example of analytics
1: not working, because I think the tendency always is when I'm talking with data analysts to be quite uh, precious about like examples of things not working, where I actually feel as though those examples can be useful. They can be instructive and informative. I get the impression from you that that you're constantly looking at these situations and, and using them for a benefit as well. So we've already mentioned Manchester United. Now, maybe the case that Manchester United got things wrong because they didn't have uh, an analytics platform in place, but you must have some examples of clubs bringing in like a recruitment departments and it, and it not going well.
2: Yeah. There's a few examples out there. I think like there's examples from a technical point of view, the often heard ones in terms of just making sure that we've got the right context behind it in the first place. Is it relative to possession? Is it relative to the competition that we've come from and so on? But I think In my experience, the examples of analytics going wrong are more or less around the soft side of the skills that get put into it in terms of the communication and interpretation. So we already touched on this one earlier, but the idea of telling a decision maker that they're wrong because the output said this or that is something that can be really harmful. And that is an example of when analytics goes poorly because you'll have the decision maker sort of put up a front and say, I'm not interested in what this is telling me anymore because it doesn't align with the way that I actually understand the game or it's being used against me. So I think that's one really harmful way in which analytics can be used inappropriately. I think the other way in which it is often and at times used inappropriately is just when it's too technical. So something that could be the best model ever and the analysis itself is fantastic, but it ultimately doesn't align with the way that people can actually understand its application. So there's lots of examples of really highly technical analytics out there that are telling some great things with stories through the numbers, but unless the decision maker needs to be enabling um, that information and applying it, can understand it, it's, um, it doesn't count for too much at the end of the day. So I think those two things in, in either being too hard with the interpretation and telling people they're wrong, or just not connecting with the way that the decision maker actually needs to be using it, are the two most common examples of the analysis falling short of where it needs to be.
1: You're touching already on resistance to analytics, and this is something that I see a lot in my day job. Yeah. Because a lot of the time people will say to me, well, you know, this shows us the limits of data and and the limits of analysis. Yeah. Most of the time, I think what that usually means is I want to say something, the the data doesn't back it up. And so therefore I'm going to say, well, I'm going to make some kind of meta interpretational point about how actually this is the limits of of data rather than actually coming to terms with what is being said but that's a different story entirely <laughs> but do you think that a lot of this resistance to analytics then does come down to this distinction that you've been talking about where we're talking about like raw data versus interpreted data through analysis and that most people again to come back to that term that i used before scientism a lot of people are using that as an approach to, to think that if someone throws a number at you yeah it's just you can't query or quibble that number at all there. and and so people start becoming resistant because they it, it, it almost is interpreted as a, an aggression you're so, so some are saying well here's the number so you're wrong.
2: Yeah that's it so no I think there is these two different schools of thought that are going on in football in terms of, like loosely speaking and just the art of football and the domain expertise and then the science of the technical side of things and I think it's really important that we can actually just bridge that gap and connect it and understand that there is these two different elements that go into it so Again, those numbers in isolation shouldn't be interpreted as these answers. But what's really important is that we can communicate that to the decision makers because the data, you can't argue with the data because that is what it is when it comes to the actual numbers that have been counted and are more or less fact. But we can argue with the interpretation of the data through the analytics. And I think that distinction between data and analytics is something that's not necessarily understood completely in the industry because you can ask someone about what their view is of data or what their view is of analytics and people say no don't trust the data don't trust this and that but what they actually mean is that they don't trust the analytics and someone might have been harmful in the past in actually trying to impose analytics on them which might have been wrong or flawed in some way or another and that can yeah lose the decision maker in the way that they're interpreting all the data moving forward. But if they can understand what's data, what's objective, and what's fact versus what is an interpretation of the data, that's actually a really important distinction to make so that they can trust what's being delivered to them.
1: Yeah. And I also maybe even want to go even further and say, you know, there is no, there's no such thing as uninterpreted data, right? There's always a decision somewhere mm. that something should be considered interesting enough to be counted as data. I mean even if we talk about something like goals and shots, right? You can't really you can't really argue with like with with what a goal or a shot is, but obviously the reason why people are are counting these things in the first place is based on some kind of interpretational decision to be like these are useful things, these are valuable things. Yeah. We should therefore aggregate them in some way. And I, that's what I find so interesting about all of this stuff because every decision then, because data is everything that is out there, right? So we could we could count anything out yeah. there. It, but we don't count everything out there. There's certain things that we don't think are that important in, in terms of, like, like we're talking about football, right? There's not, it, no one is aggregating like kickoffs, how many teams <laughs> took kickoffs because it's not interesting, right? Yeah. So I think that every level you're already making interpretational decisions about what data we collect, yep. what the definition of that data is, and yeah. I think that's massively interpretation. I mean, the difference between Y Scout and and StatsBomb or, or Opta on what an, uh, an interception yeah. is—the five different numbers different. of passing efficiencies that exist—yeah, yeah. Yeah. exactly. So, so what I like about your approach is that is that you're starting to say, you know, okay, on the one hand, people want to talk about the art. You said the art of football and then the science of football, but those two domains are much closer than people realize and there's so much overlap between the two of them to the extent that most of the time I don't think there's even it's even easy to distinguish those things so yeah that's one of the things that I would like to see data analysts doing more of because i think the tendency is always to say no look this is you know the certain the certain non-negotiables that Mm. we just say are fact right but actually at every level it seems to me that there is like interpretation or we're deciding to do this yeah like these kinds of metrics are important for us because of this yeah and i I think maybe changing the mindset and saying you know at every level we have we are making decisions therefore there is always the the possibility of querying what we're
2: doing right a hundred percent. And even from an analyst perspective, relinquishing some of that control of what would otherwise be an optimal model so that it's more applied in the way that a decision maker understands and can actually utilize it, it's much better to have a 95% accurate model than, that they value and buy into than a hundred percent model that is very academic and technically… Absolute and right, but isn't going to get the buy in that it needs. So, again, it's making sure that it's applied and, and connecting and bridging that gap between the art and the science so that it's going to be useful. Otherwise, you've got these tools that don't get used. At the ends
1: of these interviews, I always like to start looking to the future. Yeah. So, you, you put a bullet point in the running order of what the forefront of analytics looks like, which is yeah. a big, big old topic. It is. What do you think are the most interesting areas in analytics right now? Yeah.
2: Right now, I think the thing that's really shaking up our understanding of football at the moment is the tracking data that's coming out. So that's something that I think is really shifting the resource that data scientists, data analysts and people within football clubs have to work with. So in the past, that physical data was something that was always confined to who's got a GPS unit on. But now that we've got this tracking data done off broadcast vision, it becomes something that's a really powerful tool to add more context to the numbers that are being gathered and collected. So for me, that's something that I look at and just think this is this next wave of data and analytics that might result from all this new resource that we have to quickly understand and interpret, in such a way that it's also going to be adding value as we're going with with these roles where the decision makers still need these insights all the time. So, I think there's when we go back to what we said earlier of not being enough time in the the day or the week or the season to actually understand how to use this data. It's a really exciting time knowing that there's this huge amount of value that can come from this tracking data and how quickly we can get our heads around it so that we can use it to enhance our models to to tell these new insights.
1: How do you think that those insights will be realized practically in terms of the tracking data? So presumably- I mean, football is a game about space, right? Yeah. And we've never, because because the majority of our data is event data, right? Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's not even just event data. A lot of it is just ball-oriented event data, to yeah. call it that, right? We've never really been able to represent the spatial aspects of, of football. So yeah. do you think that we will start seeing more, Metrics that allow us to understand, for example, I mean the big, big examples always given is centre backs, right? People don't really understand what centre backs are good at. Yeah. You, you can't just simply go and, and look at uh, centre backs. I don't know aerial duels or tackles or whatever, and yep. come away and say this this one is better because he's doing more of it than the other. If you're tackling more as a centre back, odds are you're playing for a bad team. Yeah. Um, so what do you think that the actual practical realization of tracking data will have on the way that we're doing? It? And, yeah.
2: and also- <laughs> um, I think you've touched on it there already in terms of how we can quantify space. So to begin with, I think it's it's making event data out of this tracking data that we've got access to, so more contextual understandings of what it means to be doing runs in these certain circumstances. But that's the sort of that's the the first step. The next step is actually being able to measure what a centre half is doing when they're actually closing down space just by positioning themselves fifty yards off the ball. That's something where when you look at the research that's out there and when you see some of the things that are starting to emerge with the tracking data and how it's being applied, there's some really cool stuff out there. But from my perspective, I still look at it and I think that is really technical. So being able to take that information as people are drilling deeper and deeper in terms of how we can quantify it, what gets really interesting is this challenge of also how do we reduce that and interpret in such a way where we can give some really clear and easy insights to understand to these decision makers so they can actually – help it inform their strategy and decisions. So I think there's lots of things going on in that space at the moment. And I don't know the answer as to how it's going to look in a couple of years from now, but what is really exciting is knowing that there's lots of really smart people across the industry trying to make sense of it and that it will change the way that we understand what a centre half can do off the ball.
1: How will tracking data change traits? Is it just a case that, as you were saying in the beginning, like you assess the data that's available and then work from that? Is it simply that it's gonna be another form of data that will allow you to have, a, I guess, better insight into what's going on.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think the latter there for, for TRAITS specifically. So again, TRAITS is more or less working with the tidy data that is available. And when it has been contextualized into this event data, it's something that can be fed into a TRAITS model that can help you understand what that data means. But in terms of when we're measuring and quantifying space in these new ways, we'll leave that one up to the data engineers and the physicists who are doing all this other brilliant work in terms of quantifying it in the first place. So again. Traits is this translation tool of taking the data that is available and making sense of it, as opposed to finding that data in the first place. And I think that's something that these tracking data companies are doing really well.
1: One of the things that I always notice when we talk to people who are working in the football industry is that there's an interest in how you ended up getting in there and how... As I suppose an extension of that, how could the people listening get into the industry as well? And again, I note from the the bio that you you have a PhD in human resource analytics, which seems to me a fairly non-standard entry point to to data analysis. So do you want to talk a little bit about your story of how you ended up working in in the football industry in particular, and maybe the pointers that you might give to people who are interested in maybe making that leap.
2: Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. So, as you say, it was a fairly unconventional route into the football industry, but from a data analyst point of view. But what I actually did is I started from a scouting background. So, when I was in undergrad, I was doing voluntary scouting with a club where I was going to the equivalent of what would be a PL2 or under 18 matches here and doing subjective scouting. So this Aussie rules? This was Aussie rules. So, I was watching nearly 100 games a season and writing these subjective appraisals on- um, There's
1: hundreds of players on an Auss- Aussie rules team, isn't there? Yeah,
2: 18, 18 on a field per team at a time. Oh, so, we've got a lot of players running around. 40 players on the- Yeah, wow. that's it. So, there's lots going on in Aussie rules, but effectively what I was doing is I was scouting while I was doing my undergrad degree, which was a commerce degree majoring in economics. So, had exposure to- Using numbers through my degree and had exposure to the scouts and the data that they had access to at the club as well and uh, what happened at the end of the undergrad degree was the was an opportunity to start working part-time with the club as a scout at the same time where i got an opportunity to do what's called an honors year at uni which is effectively this one-year dissertation on top of the undergrad degree so i saw that as a great opportunity to actually spend the degree or spend this honors research piece on the, the work that was going on in Aussie rules football using the data that they had access to and trying to understand how we could use that data in, in a way that aligned with what was my understanding of scouting but also the club's understanding of scouting at that point and thankfully that went well where I then got the opportunity to work at Collingwood full-time at the same time I got offered a PhD position off the back of the honours year so those things were sort of happening in tandem where I got into this role at Collingwood as a performance data analyst where I was working within both the recruitment department looking at all of their numbers, but also within the performance analysis department doing everything tactical from a sort of preview live on a match day and review sense as well while the PhD was happening. So the PhD was very much a continuation of the undergrad degree coming from the business school, which is why it was human resource analytics as opposed to anything more sports science-y. But it was really cool being able to take what is best practice from some of these more commercial industries and apply it to sport which has such rich data. And that's where Traits was sort of born from. And I think that's where it adds a really huge amount of value in in taking something that is really outside the box thinking from a sports sense and applying it to this landscape. And that was something that had success in Aussie Rules Football in being able to embed this tool within the club at Collingwood from both a player profiling point of view toward recruitment purposes but also development purposes. But those learnings and that application also extended beyond Aussie rules football, where it was something where when the guys at Chelsea saw it, they thought, okay, there's definitely something in this within our landscape too. So again, it's an unconventional path of sort of going through scouting to economics, to human resource analytics, Aussie rules football to football. But what's sort of been the constant through that whole process is this idea of just taking large quantities of data and reducing it to something that actually aligns with the domain experts who ultimately need to be using it rather than just being down this one stream of either very technical or very football. Yeah. And
1: uh, if I can make maybe a more practical mercenary point, there's a lot of money presumably in, in big corporations, right? So if, if kids can get through their, their education track th- off the back of a, a big company interested in, you know, these sorts of, wider analytics questions, then that may be a a pretty fruitful avenue to go through in terms of getting a a PhD in an area which is then easy to port across to to Mm. covering football, right? Yeah,
2: that's it. So you asked the question of, you know, how do people get into it these days? And I think what's really exciting about the industry at the moment is there's not necessarily this well-worn path or conventional path in how to get into football analytics. It's this this space that's growing exponentially at the moment, and there aren't people with, or there aren't many people with, like lots of years of experience in having worked in this space because the data wasn't there previously, or at least not to this extent that it is now. So, we are getting to a point where we're moving away from having just data analysts toward more data scientists and data engineers. And the skill set that they need to get into football is that sort of technical one that they have access to in terms of knowing how to do modeling knowing how to do coding and so on but being able to apply the soft skills that they have to a football context where they can listen to decision makers and understand how to measure football in line with their understanding of the game is where it becomes this yeah really interesting um, junction between the the football expertise and the technical expertise and what's great now with the industry as well is that the amount of data that's becoming publicly available is something that's shifted quite a lot in recent times as well so you can look at and FBF or a statsbomb and the amount of data that they've actually got access to becomes something quite accessible to people with these technical skills to actually show people what they know within football clubs and and how they can add value
1: yeah transferable skills I guess is what I'm hearing from yeah you there is that you don't need to be working in football to have the skills that would make you a good fit for, for a football club and uh, yeah most of the people I know working in the football industry particularly on that data analysis route have gone through either big business or tech companies or stuff like that. Um, So yeah, Karen Singh, who a lot of people know for his expected threat model, recently uh, joined Arsenal. He was working for Facebook uh, and went through academia as well. So uh, what I'm hearing from you is that if you pick up those skills, then you make yourself an attractive proposal for any football club, because you have the ability to take good ideas from other areas and bring them in, right?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. But I think to add to that as well, it's not just these highly technical skills that are valued it's any of these skills in terms of being able to understand the data and communicate it as well. So it doesn't need to necessarily be someone who's got this engineering, economics, mathematics degree. It is something that can be very accessible across all levels of football. So even being able to take data and put it into an Excel spreadsheet or put it into Tableau is something that is adding value to football clubs if they don't have that resource at the moment. So it's not like you need to go from zero to 100 straight away to having this highly technical skill set. I think analytics is really accessible in terms of how you can just take raw data points and wrap context around them. So for me, like when, when you talk to people who are, yeah, haven't, haven't got any background or understanding of data at the moment, there is so many open source platforms out there to help you understand the basics of that. And there are so many football clubs at different levels that don't, have any of that resource. So being able to learn how to do some basic analysis through, yeah, again, even Excel or putting it through the public versions of Tableau that exist become this tool that can add a lot of value and a great way to get into the industry.
1: Dan, it's been great chatting to you. What is the best way for people to get in touch with you if you're if they're interested in your product? But also, if they just want to find out more about your, your background and if you've got any advice, etc.
2: I'd say either jumping on LinkedIn and reaching out to me directly through that or through the website. So Traits has a website, traitsinsights.com and you can register for a demonstration there if you're interested in understanding more um, from a club's perspective. But yeah, we'd love to hear from anyone who's interested to in chat.
1: Dan, thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks very much for having me.